You're listening to The Watchers, a podcast where two women from opposite ends of New Jersey watch TV about New Jersey. I'm Jody, And I'm Andrea. And uh, <laughs> this week, most of that is true. Yes. Some of it is not. We are two women from opposite ends yes. of New Jersey watching, certainly. Yes. Still true. Yes. Um, we are in our off season. I'm going through major Yellow Jackets withdrawal. I'm sure oh, you are as God. well. Um, it's it's been brutal. It's going to be one of those shows that becomes one of my perverse comfort shows that will just be on in the background, where it's mm-hmm. like, and it's not a show that because like X Files is one of those for me where I can just throw it on and it like can is almost alone. Is that for me? <laughs> <laughs> two really just like you know peaceful. Lovely yeah. little shows. Um, well, I used to fall asleep listening to the Rachel Maddow podcast, <laughs> if that tells you anything about my brain. Um, it does. It, it tells me a lot, actually. But um, but so I, I just can feel that happening already. Um, yeah. But all that to say, we're in our off season. We've got to do something in the meantime. Yeah. yeah. This is our first official episode back. Mm-hmm. Um, we missed you all very much if you are listening to this thank you so much for wanting to hang out when we're not actively talking about yellow jackets mm-hmm. though i think we're always going to kind of be talking about yellow jackets yeah well and also like the fact that the we became so obsessed with yellow jackets has a lot to do with our pop culture histories totally. and the kinds of things that we like to watch mm-hmm. and so if you are a fan of yellow jackets you will probably be a fan of a lot of the same stuff that we are going to be talking about. Um, And, you know, when we started this together, we were sort of excited to talk about Yellow Jackets from the lens of to like millennial Gen X queer women from a certain part of the world. And that is still going to be the lens we take on all the other stuff too. Totally. Totally. Um, Yeah. And I think, this first one that we told folks last week that um, we were going to watch is one that kind of, I think you maybe have been referencing since episode one, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And especially particularly in relationship to the black comedy parts yeah. of Yellow Jackets. Every time you have said this is a comedy, my brain goes to Heather's. Yeah. And there, you know, uh, as I said, this is a movie that just somehow I, I missed. It makes no sense that I missed it. Um, but there are other than generationally, because I mean, but it came out in 88. Yeah. I think that's in the way that like, I couldn't have watched everything that came out, but so many of my favorite movies are from this time period when you and I, we we, like brainstormed a list of, of movies and a lot of them were ones that we both had already seen because I am deeply like in love with and invested with this time period for movies and also this mm-hmm. like kind of genre um although yeah. heathers is its own thing totally i have mm-hmm. i have learned this week um but so it is strange that i missed it but now it's i have no longer missed it i have caught it thanks yes. to you yes you're welcome i mean i was 12 when this movie came out mm-hmm. like i was also too young for this right. movie but it was such a touchstone for everyone I went to high school with. Well, like, we were full-on obsessed and with this movie the entire time. I think that's me, but for Clueless, which I saw in the theaters. Mm-hmm. I was very young. Like, Mean Girls mm-hmm. should be my high school movie, but Clueless is. Like, yeah. It. I think it's different to see something as, like, I saw Clueless and just assumed that was the high school experience as opposed to Mean Girls as a... Th- Do you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, it wasn't imagined for me. Um, 
I guess I wonder what I, it says about the two of us that your imagined high school experience you got from Heather's and I got from Clueless. Well, and honestly, other than the murder part, <laughs> like, yeah, this wasn't that far off. Well, that's what's so interesting. I mean, we'll get into we're not going to do a scene by scene breakdown like we would no, this for Yellow Jackets episode. Also, hopefully you watched it. We talked with you last week. So even if this is new to you for this week, you hopefully you have seen it either recently or know it front to right. back like Jody does. Um <laughs> But that's one of the things that's so interesting about this movie is it is a take on those high school movies of the era. Mm -hmm. But it's so uh, it's so interesting to me that it's of the time and referring back to the time in which it was made. Like, um, we'll talk about what we're going to watch for next week at the end of Mm -hmm. this episode. Um, But the movie that I picked is also like... Uh, a, a parody isn't the right word for it. I don't want to say too right. much. Yet. Referential, right. yeah, yeah. But to a to the previous generation, not yeah. the its current generation, right? Which Heather's is doing. It's so interesting. Yeah, and so I think the reason that my friends and I reacted so strongly to this movie because I will tell you, this feels like the movie that everyone I knew was obsessed with. Mm-hmm. That's I don't think that's true. <laughs> it's deeply weird like so what i and what i mean by that is i lit this made me pull out my high school yearbook which i just told you before we started recording which is horrifying at my age um well just for some reference for folks this movie came out and it's 89 88 88 and you graduated in 93 93 okay so yeah pretty yeah it was really significant but what i'm realizing as i rewatch it is that it could not have been as significant to 80% of my high school Mm -hmm. as it was to me and my friends specifically. Like we have talked about the fact that like I started high school in 89 as a sort of metalhead kid from the wrong town, a couple towns away who had moved to like the nice town. And instead of trying to fit in, I just smoked behind the cafeteria (laughs) with the sort of like, what's the word? Like the deadbeat kids, even though I should have been, I don't know. I related a little too hard to Veronica in this movie. You know what's funny that you've just made me realize is that there's always, maybe this is less so now, I don't know. But there, historically, the popular clique is a high school thing. We Mm -hmm. had them in my high school. It wasn't quite as divided as this, but it certainly was. But Mm. what the popular clique looks like changes, right? Between, from the 50s, 60s, all the way up, right? Up to now. The other the opposite end of that spectrum has always been the kids cutting lunch to go smoke out it like that that group stays the same what's that what is that it is because it is in opposition always it's like so my high school was very much like this Mm -hmm. this it was very stratified it was very clear what those strata were it was very um you didn't move between groups as even as easily. It's so interesting that I'm so interesting. We're, we're back. We're back, folks. That I can't help but put the Jersey lens on this because you're from the the much more we're the most populated state in the country and one of the most populated places like densely populated places mm-hmm. in the world, I think. Bergen County is um, extremely densely populated, yeah. And on the one hand that and and so because of that class 
it really runs the gamut. And that's true for South Jersey, too. We have very wealthy areas that back up right against much poorer areas. Like Camden County has Haddonfield, which is one of the richest towns in New Jersey, two seconds away from Camden, which is one of the poorest in the country still. Um, Right. So it's not to say that that's not the case, but I think in North Jersey it's even more pronounced. And so, hundred percent. And on the one hand, though, you would think that that might allow for more shifting, but I think mm. it, what it does it just draws it into even starker relief. Yeah, yeah. Because the high school I went to was very upper middle class. There were people, and I was not. And there were people in that high school that were coming to. It's also a very Jersey thing that you and I both have to do. Remind people. I have to clarify. <laughs> yeah. I was not. <laughs> FYI, my dad worked in retail. My mom was on disability. I drove a Ford Tempo. Like, absolutely. I just love how he, quick, like, our listeners don't clarify. None of our listeners are listening and being like, oh, these rich idiots that so we have to yeah. tell them that we're not. But, yeah. but it's just reflex. But it's interesting because I went to that high school, I, in my professional life, kind of learned that language of mm-hmm. how to appear as a part of that group of people. Right. Yeah. And I think it actually benefited me quite a lot professionally to have that experience. I believe that. Um, but so, you know, there were kids coming to my school. And we were not we were not the richest town around us at all. We mm-hmm. were kind of like top third right. in the area. But there were kids coming to school driving like, you know, their dad's Mercedes mm-hmm. and, you know, being gifted really fancy cars for their 17th birthday. And then there were kids that were pretty poor living in like you know kind of shitty apartments either not excuse me for some reason because we're from new jersey like what car you had is like a very significant indicator totally um so there were also kids driving to school in like you know station wagons with their bumpers falling Mm -hmm. off and things like that so there was this stratification both economically but also socially i don't know if it's about to get really boring for our listeners i'm so sorry but what you are we gonna talk about cars (laughs) no i mean maybe a little but for me it's like and in in south jersey at least the part that i was from up to a point yes but then most of the kids who could afford the fancier cars and all just went to one of the private schools like yeah you didn't like there was the the separation was was more (laughs) separated in both like uh spatial and then also Mm -hmm. that way as opposed to like north jersey where and i'm sure kids did go to private schools up there obviously but we have some catholic schools that were sort of that that magnet but i will say that because like if you look up like the top public schools in like the on the east coast Mm -hmm. like a good chunk of them are in north jersey right so it wasn't such Um, a big Issue yeah, that's why everyone for... bitches about the taxes. Right. So, like, you wanted, literally, instead of paying public, uh, private school tuition, you would pay higher taxes to live in a town like Ridgewood or Glenrock right. and go to those schools. Like, you literally were paying private school tuition, but it was your property tax. Right, exactly, yeah. And again, so not to- I just want to, Jersey is alike all over in a lot of ways up to a point, and I think this is a good example of mm-hmm. of that, like... Obviously, the kids going to public school in Haddonfield were having a very different experience than the kids going to public school um, in, in in Gloucester Township, where I went. Right. And I think the thing that's, and again, this may be really boring to a lot of people, but if you grew up in New Jersey, you should, you'll probably recognize this. Like, in towns like Ridgewood and Glenrock, um, there were people whose parents could afford to live there. And then there were people who had kind of found a way. Yeah, to- Totally 
either scam the system somehow or like my mom, <laughs> I just wrote something about this recently. My mom gave a fake address so we yeah. could go to the pool in Ridgewood. Yeah. That's because, such a Jersey thing. Yeah. I think it's like, a Jersey thing. I don't know. It's, I just have I'm, so many examples of that. Yeah. And so we were some of those people that I felt like we had scammed our way in because like some are whatever, not important. But anyway, um, but not only the economic stratification in this movie, but the social stratification mm -hmm. was super real when I was in high school. And so like, and the bullying was, was the, like, I just want to explain for people who are like, if we have listeners that are not our age or like have grown up in the era where bullying is actually talked about mm -hmm. and done, things are done about it like the level oh. of overt like inter-student sort of like emotional and physical violence is really fucking accurate yeah. to what it was like to be in high school in the early 90s i think it is it we're, we're gonna talk about this movie directly and i know you just tried to shift it back but i think now it seems that that kind of bullying has moved because schools are so uh or at least act as if they're very like zero tolerance when it comes to bullying on school grounds at least mm -hmm. that a lot of that has moved into online spaces absolutely um, yeah i i have said for a long time that if the internet had existed when i was in middle school i probably would have killed myself yeah. because at least with the bullying in school, I could go home it, yeah. and like read a book at the end of the day and pretend that none of it was real. You just had to get through eight hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. But like literally, like you could then go home and have your summers mm -hmm. and have your like, you know, but it's... life outside of school. And now that just doesn't like it just bleeds into every yeah. moment of every day. I'm like constantly online now. That wouldn't have been different for me if... No this if I were in high school now <laughs> like, yeah I still would have been and I wasn't yeah. a bull I was a weird kid but I wasn't a bullied kid I think I was right I I, I don't know what, what my like my like group was I think I don't know if we just yeah I don't, I don't know but um if you don't know you weren't in the bullied crew well like yeah, well, yeah I like just, not in the hardcore anyway yeah I mean like I don't know what saved me from it because I was a strange mm -hmm. I think I was just too I Mm. Oh, I know exactly. No, I know exactly. Because we had we had you. <laughs> there was a me. <laughs> yeah, we had we had a couple, actually. And it was like the weird kid that was like somehow had this like bubble of weird around them where people were like, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't and know like, how you would what specific in what specific way you would have bullied me that would have yeah. landed. <laughs> like... That's the thing. And I kind of, like, I loved those kids. Like, they kind of just floated through with this, like, what's going on with that person <laughs> vibe around them, you I think, know? I think I'm lucky for that because it wasn't intentional. I just was, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And for me, it was like, look at that sensitive ball of nerves. Let's poke it. <laughs> just watch how it reacts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God. I relate to, you know, those little, those sensitive plants? The leaves, uh, where, like if you touch them, they like. Oh, then they—that's uh, you. Yeah. Well, that was me in high school. So uh, we should probably talk about the movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, instead of like going through our therapy session about <laughs> high school, but I literally, so I just looked at my yearbook, like I said, and I looked at what my friends wrote to me in my yearbook, mm -hmm. and 
I think we all thought we were Veronica Sawyer. Oh, no. In the way that, like, I thankfully, I don't know what I wrote in anyone's yearbook because I don't have access to that. But what my, especially my friend Nicole wrote in my yearbook was, like, very much mad Veronica Sawyer wearing a monocle scribbling about, like. They give her a monocle. That was, like, my favorite. (laughs) I mean, weren't you a kid who wanted a pocket watch at some point? Like, yeah. I think I had a pocket watch at some point. Yeah. 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 So. Oh, boy. So Heather's is a movie about (laughs) Veronica Sawyer and her three Heathers, her three friends. Um, They are the popular clique in high school. They are very cruel. um, And their lives are somewhat upended when a young man named JD moves to town, played by... Christian Slater. It is a good thing that I didn't see this movie when I was a young person because I would have been in love with this horrible, horrible, horrible man. Yeah. Oh, I was. Boy. Yeah, of course I you was. were. How could you not be? But now I watch it and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, he's, we talked about this off mic a little bit. He's like, I think you said proto incel. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked about how this movie starts out more as like a high school satire that and it accelerates. I was very, very quickly. Yeah, I watched this on Tubi, which means I had breaks, which means I watched the first, I guess the first act, if we're going to break it down that way. But it's a very Mm -hmm. short first act. And when it came back where it starts to shift i thought maybe i missed a part of the movie where the tubi had given me a weird edit because it goes zero to 60 so mm-hmm. fast in a way i really liked i it's it shows yeah. how aware of the genre it is that it's kind of like you guys get it you know what these movies are so yeah. we can give you the few things you need to understand this particular like planet in this universe of movies and then we can start turning it on its head um yeah it like sets up the social setting mm-hmm. right the high school the popular kids it like kind of goes through the different other groups there's like the nerdy kids there's the deadbeat stoners behind the cafeteria there's like the kid that needs to get into princeton like it, it covers all the little tropes mm-hmm. you know the jocks that are like super homophobic and like and then there's jd over in the corner like it's funny to trace the kind of lineage i'm probably gonna have a hard time not doing this as we move through it but you know breakfast club obviously is the most Mm -hmm. like direct and they breakfast club spells these groups kind of out for us at the end of that movie i mean throughout the movie but obviously like literally spells it out for us at the end of that movie yeah um and then we have it here a little more subtly though the though the groups are much more um I don't know what the word is, but much more like heightened, more like caricatures of those groups. Sure. Yeah. And it uses the setting of the cafeteria to really lay that out. Yeah. Which which I thought was super accurate. Yeah, totally. And then you you see that again in Clueless um, Mm -hmm. a few years later, though. It's a little the the groups are not quite as because it's a little more evolved yeah yeah a little softer and a little more evolved but then it comes back around with mean girls where they literally like there's a voiceover where janice ian who is kind of i mean i guess 
I guess Katie Harrod is our Veronica in that movie, but Janice Ian kind of really is, I think. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but she gives the voiceover. She's like, over here in this corner, we have this group and this group. Mm-hmm. And it's so talking back to these movies. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone that was in high school when I was recognized this immediately as act- like as accurate. Mm-hmm. You know, not as heightened, actually. The heightened part of this movie is the murders. Right. The rest of it could have happened. Even the shoulder like, pads? Absolutely the shoulder pads. <laughs> Even Although for by the, the time 80s. I was in high school, that was done. Yeah. 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 These I mean, outfits are on. I mean, they're believable. I understand the 80s. Like, but I just, they're so, it like, it's so, this movie is so cartoonish. Yeah. Yeah, that's the good word for it. Yeah, you mentioned Tim Burton earlier. Like, mm-hmm. it feels very like the clothing choices, the music, the um, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later. But the camera work and all of yeah. the visual stuff and, and this like... weird little dream sequences or whatever they mm-hmm. are. Like, that's all. It feels very Beetlejuice to me. Which mm. this movie and you know even with Winona and all Winona of that. Ryder. And um, yeah. um, even Otho's in this Glenn Shaddix, who I love. Um, and uh. He um he plays the uh he's the, he's the priest in this movie, um but oh right so there's a lot of like kind of um, almost a kind of winking back to Beetlejuice, um it also just this I mean just to start with the opening scene where they're all playing uh croquet yeah it's like also very like um it feels very like Alice in Wonderland in the beginning because mm-hmm. I mean, obviously because of the croquet but there's just the weird colors and out in this like pleasant little garden but then you see very quickly that it's not going to be that like the the trampling yeah. of the flowers in that opening scene is yeah I, that's when i text jody i texted you i said this movie is already perfect and it's when they had <laughs> they just stepped on the flowers oh, yeah. yep yeah yeah so it starts with that scene they're playing croquet you know everything seems relatively normal mm-hmm. and then the ball bounces off of veronica's head <laughs> <laughs> um and then we go directly to the cafeteria scene where we meet JD mm-hmm. um, and they're doing the lunchtime poll. Which again, extremely high school, continues to be extremely high school. You also yeah. see that again it, 20, 20 years later or however many years later in Mean Girls, uh, 25 mm. years later, where they're literally one of the like shithead boys in the school is walking around um, doing a poll. Like it's. Which I don't think we ever did that. I don't know. But. Anyway, but it's when we meet JD, and as soon as we see JD, we know who JD is mm-hmm. in a way because he's got which we've we brought up over uh, when we were talking earlier about the trench coat, um, how he is the visual referent for something that actually comes much later. Yeah, this movie, I I did love it. I have complicated feelings about it, and it's it's not the movie's fault that I have those mm-hmm. feelings. It's because I'm a Columbine child. <laughs> like, yeah. that's my generation. So this stuff is not that it's ever easy to watch. Like, but I just think that like how we feel about school violence is like changed so Wildly dramatically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's interesting to think about this as a period piece because mm-hmm. of when it came in our history as a country that is beset with school shootings now. Yeah. Like this was not something that I grew up with. Right. I did not grow up thinking about school shootings yeah. at all. Like yeah. I graduated in 93. Yeah. We didn't have this. The sort of like after school special commentary of this movie has way more to do with 
I guess we'll put a we'll put a content warning in the show notes um, right. because I, this movie is rife. I mean, anything that <laughs> comes up in this movie, consider a content warning for it being mm-hmm. discussed in this episode, obviously. But the after school special kind of like commentary in this is on teen suicide, not yep. teen violence, like not violence yep. toward one another. And there was so I just recently listened to a podcast about the current mental health crisis Mm -hmm. among teens and current teen suicide rates. And they'd mentioned something in that podcast about how it's the highest it's been, but the previous peak was this time frame. Right. Right. And so it was like a big conversation. Yeah. I think it was much more romanticized in the eighties than it is now. Mm -hmm. It's very high now. It's an epidemic. And I think, but I don't think it's looked at, it's viewed very differently now than it. Well, it's viewed through the lens of a much more mental health uh, conscious mm-hmm. society. Yeah. Like when I hear my current students and college age people talking about being on antidepressants and ha- having anxiety and all of these things, this was not discussed right, when I was right. in high school. Yeah. So it was like, everything was fine or you committed suicide. Mm-hmm. There was no like, this person is in treatment for mental health issues. It was just completely hidden. And the only time you were aware of it was when it got to this point. Right, right. And for, I was on just the tail end of that where like, we... I didn't know anybody in therapy when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. I knew plenty of kids who said something in class that got them taken away for an evaluation and then they'd be gone for a couple of days and they'd come back and it would start all over. There was no like, there was no in treatment for, for young. Absolutely not. At least that we talked about. Um, Right. And I'm obviously so glad that that conversation has shifted. It is heartbreaking and troubling that, it is so much more out in the open and we do have more resources, but it's still such an issue, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they talk about, we're, we're kind of all over the place with this conversation, but I, it's kind of why I wanted to have this conversation mm-hmm. because not only that, but everybody talks about how Gen X was like this detached, ironic, like nobody, nothing matters. Nobody cares. Nihilistic, like generation. And that is why this movie and mm-hmm. other ones like it spoke to us so much. Right. Because it took the sort of, it took that seriously. Like yeah. it, it, it recognized that there was a reason mm-hmm. that we were sort of detaching to protect ourselves. Right. You know, like all of us had these like boomer parents that were either the parents like alcoholics, not present, like the whole latchkey kid generation Mm -hmm. thing. Like we were all on our own. And like, this is, I mean, you and I met through the New Jersey's the world podcast. And a lot of what they they and we have talked about over there is that Mm -hmm. is what it was like growing up specifically in New Jersey at that time, feeling like everything was lawless and nobody was watching us. The parents in this movie, because they are at least for Veronica's really the only one, Veronica and JD are the only one who's like home lives. We really get a good look at, Mm -hmm. um, they're they're very present in this yeah. movie. They're there a lot. They're Physically. not yeah, they're not great parents, obviously. So that's a little Will someone please tell me why I smoke these things? That because you're an idiot, Dad. That like practiced 
back and yeah. forth that you know they've done a million times that you know these people do not actually know their child that they're mm-hmm. it's not even pretending because I think they think that they're involved parents I get the mm-hmm. impression that they don't think they're all that checked out um also those scenes are so funny this Heather's is a mute like they've they've uh Heather's has been turned into has become a musical that people really right. love it in a lot of ways felt like a play to me like mm. these weird little like interstitials I guess with the parents yeah that could be totally and how they separate kind of, yeah, yeah and how they repeat during very disparate emotional moments yeah right like in the beginning it's after the cro- their croquet feels very silly and like light and then they repeat that same interaction right before she's going to heather's funeral mm-hmm. um yes. but it does yeah, yeah. And, and in that way they're so detached right because they're so light about what she's mm-hmm. going through even though they do know to an extent what she's going through but it's yeah. they're just so like insulated from it i guess um which is a very that is also a very like um a kind of heightened version of what happens in childhood like my family didn't know what I wasn't up to what Veronica and co are up to, but like they didn't know like childhood is very secret. Like, especially your teenage years. I think even if you aren't, even if you are someone who has like good functional parents who you're close with, like, I think like it just is a kind of, yeah, I keep wanting to say secret, but kind of like secret thing. Um, And I wonder if that's as true now. Like I, I've, watch my cousins raising their teenagers and I'm sure their teenagers have all these inner lives that they don't know about but in a real physical sense they know what their children are doing right much more than my parents did yeah yeah that's true I mean I didn't have a cell phone that like there could have been like a, a GPS on or whatever. Nope. like yeah nope. that's a good point that's interesting yeah yeah I don't know there's the, I was trying to find the exact quote of the great pate, but I've got a motor if I'm going to get to this funeral on time. <laughs> I think that might be it. It's close. It's not quite it. But... <laughs> so much language that I, I use. I say motor now. I'm 37 years old. I've never seen this movie, but like I say that. Well, because this movie invented a slang. Uh-huh. Like people who look back at this now who hadn't seen it at the time may think this is just how people talked back then, but it's not. It's how they talked after this movie. Like, none of these sayings were things that we said until we saw this movie. I think that's the case for Clueless, too. Hmm. I think you might be right about that. Now that I think about it, we look at that movie as a kind of, like, I think it kind of created that generation of, of, especially girls, but, like, of teenage girls. I don't think it was reflecting them so much as it did create them in, in an interesting mm. way uh, to an extent anyway um yeah yeah no, the language in this basically just turned into a language afterwards so fascinating except for uh i didn't do the research that you would normally do um in my in my seat i think for a movie like this um but I did read uh, the Entertainment Weekly Oral History, which was pretty good. Um, I'll drop mm-hmm. a link and a couple other little like listicles just to yeah. get a little more of the conversation around it. And one of the things I read from the director, Michael Lehman, is that he he had a friend who would say, fuck me gently with a crowbar. Um, 
And he said in the oral history that that felt too mask. He really loved it, but it felt too masculine to him. And so he changed it to chainsaw. And I can't Which figure just... out why chainsaw is more. I had a teacher in um, undergrad who shout out Dr. Meadow song. Um, she's the best <laughs> uh, who said, just keep in mind that anything longer than it is wide is a phallic symbol. <laughs> and that means <laughs> also a chainsaw. Also a chainsaw. I don't. Yeah. I, I'm trying so hard to figure out what is more feminine about a chainsaw. Yeah. Nothing. Like nothing. So we started with the croquet match. Mm-hmm. We go to the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. We see the lunchtime poll. We meet JD. And then the end of that little section is Curtin Ram. Perfect names. No mm-hmm. notes. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> go over to have fun bullying JD for a moment. He pulls out a gun and shoots them with blanks. Which is like the, the moment you realize this movie is going to go from being a high school satire to something a bit more over the top and uh, out there. Yeah. Because you kind of expect, even I've seen this movie a million times. I even kind of forgot the shocking feeling of that moment mm-hmm. where instead of him like threatening to fight them or, or like having some away, like verbal parry. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Instead, he pulls out a fucking like, I don't know what kind of gun that is. I'm not a gun person, mm-hmm. but it's not like a, it's not a small handgun. No. No, it's, again, cartoonish. But he shoots them with blanks. They pee themselves. It's, like, written off as a joke. Um, and then the next big scene is the frat party. And so maybe this is where we should talk about the uh, sort of sexual politics of the time. Yeah. And the assaulty nature of a lot of this movie. Mm-hmm. That I feel like if we, if they, <laughs> I'm going to say this a lot. If they made this movie today there would be so much more seriousness and recrimination around the behavior of the men towards the women in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Instead, it's really just like, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. You go to a frat party, someone like coerces you into giving them a blowjob, and then you puke on your friend's shoes. And like, it's not wrong. Right, yeah. And that gives you like the reason that Heather has the kind of social currency she does is mm-hmm. because she goes along with it. Like, yep. not goes along with isn't the right, because it you know but yeah but it's not the like thing here isn't heather dealing with this what i mean is it's sorry i think you said coercion right that's Hmm. it's it's at the very least she's coerced into into uh yeah yeah it's not a sexual assault right but it's wow i'm gonna get real specific now um it is not enthusiastic consent i'll say that no it's not and like Okay, not to get political, but what the fuck? Not to get political. Two queer women from Jersey. Okay, sure. Not to get political. That's literally in our tagline. I know. Um, so the, I just, I'm making a weird connection here that makes sense to me. It may not make sense to you. Um, when the Brett Kavanaugh hearings were mm-hmm. happening and Christine Blasey Ford was talking about her experience with these rich prep school asshole right. kids in high school and being assaulted by them and the general culture around young men and young women and sex and entitlement and all of that stuff in that time period it was so normal and the fact that we're looking at it differently now is still something that like is hard for me to wrap my brain around like it's good but it's literally that was so fucking normal yeah 
Like well, that was not shocking to me at all when I watched it the first time. Right. Yeah. And the thing I this isn't to excuse high school and college boys behaving that way. Please know that. No. I don't think it When would, I say it was normal, I don't mean that that's a good thing. Right. But I don't think it would have occurred to them to label what they were doing as uh, certainly not assault, but not even as being as coercive or as in yeah. a, like it's just like we we set up a sort of like cultural conversation where women had to be where women because mm -hmm. for a million reasons women weren't aren't whatever supposed to enjoy sex at all that any right. encounter had to be a sort of like best case scenario convincing you know what yeah. I mean like and that's like which is why it's a little bit heartbreaking to me when I rewatched this that the relationship between Veronica and JD starts out with enthusiastic yeah. like consent yeah. with the yeah their relationship is not and in a way that I was troubled by obviously but like their relationship is not what I had doesn't end up being what I had expected I thought this was a movie about I thought this was like natural born killers in high school yeah <laughs> that like Veronica and JD would like be, Bonnie and Clyde ex yeah which is yeah. what he thinks at first yeah and she even says I think she makes that reference right she does yeah um and so I kind of I I like Veronica is a character I'm still not sure how I feel about. Um, mm -hmm. There's no real hero in this movie. No. Um, she it's also I when we first meet her and she's getting hit in the head with the croquet ball and all. Um, it's interesting that she's part of the clique. She's one mm -hmm. degree removed from being in her, but she's you know she's. My name. But, but but that's kind of it. Like, know. you know, it's her first time at a Remington party. She's really working her way up. But in a way where she wants to be. Yeah. And is it, again, looking back to Mean Girls, um, Katie becomes part of that clique to sort of infiltrate them. She is not a fan of the Mean Girls when she starts hanging out with them. Mm -hmm. And then it's kind of like sort of like brainwashed in a way and like becomes yeah. obsessed with them and wants to be accepted by them but it's a reluctant kind of desire as opposed to veronica it's it's so interesting that she's so bought in at first like she isn't she isn't it's so interesting that so i think a underrated moment in the movie or under emphasized moment is when she's talking to she's talking to jd about um how she in was like they were going to skip her a couple of grades because she was so smart mm -hmm. and they decided not to do that so she could focus on her social development mm -hmm. and it's almost like she focused on her social development as a science experiment of like i am going to become yeah. one of these people mm -hmm. and i'm going to figure out how to do that and she did totally yeah and then she got there and was like these people suck mm -hmm. but like she calls them co-workers at one point yeah when at the uh at the quick <laughs> Quick check? No, it's not a quick check in this movie. <laughs> it's called like Happy Snacky or something. It's got yeah. a really dumb name, but it's a it's a yeah. it's a quick check. Yeah, it's a Wawa. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a Wawa. Nice try, Wawa. nice try, North no. Jersey. It's like a Seven Eleven, basically. <laughs> yeah, is what yeah. it is. Um, but yeah, sorry, I got off on a no. tangent. I don't she's know where so I am. confident in this movie. She mm -hmm. she's not because there's there are those movies that are about the popular girls and then the like. The She's All That movie. Yep. This is not that. No. I thought it would no. be. Yeah. So that's what I was expecting. But she's well, like flirting movies, with JD and yeah, like from. Confidently. Yeah. And those movies, I think, there's there's something about the fact that she's a brunette in this movie. Yes. 
that is that is like the indicator yes. of like, you think this is this, but it's not. It's mm-hmm. actually this. Because she's a brunette. Because like, I read something about how Shannon Doherty, yeah. they tried to get her to dye her hair blonde. Uh-huh. So that would be three blonde Heathers. And she was like, no. And so, so they, they went like, with. Made her a redhead. Just so there's still some degree of yeah. separation between. Yeah. Shannon Doherty kind of messes up a lot of what they're trying to do with this movie. I think she's so just like a couple of degrees off from the other two. Mm. Um, But I think that's a purposeful because then when she becomes like once Heather McNamara dies mm -hmm. and she puts on the red scrunchie. Yeah. It's like, she's going from slightly off to like stepping into Mm -hmm. this place. There's the scene of her eating the chicken in the locker room. Oh yeah. After Heather McNamara dies where she's like, fuck it. And she like throws the chicken wing. The like weird bulimia joke in this movie that Mm -hmm. is kind of throwaway like it's so that's another thing too with veronica she's so in in with them that she's helping heather with her helping her helping her with her bulimia and like but it also shows she's such a like she really is i you know i'm contradicting myself here because she's part of their circle but in a lot of ways it has to do with her utility because mm. the she they use her to write the um the note to what's that Martha Martha Dunstock um yeah. because she can copy people's handwriting which is a huge plot device mm-hmm. in this movie um and even just like the the kind of like visual joke of them her like hitting her in the head in the beginning kind of like points to that um, yeah but even like her helping um heather what's that heather's last name which one heather duke heather mcnamara or heather <laughs> the bulimic one. Oh fuck shannon doherty um her help that's heather duke okay so helping heather duke uh throw up you know what I, like it is yeah. which i think she knows like she knows that being useful is what has helped get her into this group of people yeah yeah so in this first chunk we're talking about the um i feel like in my brain i break this movie up into pre-murder post-murder and then also the third part being like full-on chaos like blowing up the school so in the pre-murder part the other thing that happens is at that party um heather and veronica have their confrontation and veronica heather threatens to like ruin veronica and this is what sets off the chain of events that leads to her death yeah and there's that speech that you gave in an episode of yellow jackets a little while back that monologue which feels like that if like when i heard you give that speech i was that should have been third act yeah that's the speech that's like that's you were playing barbies with betty finn (laughs) That's the scene in Mean Girls, like, to keep going back. It's Regina George, like, in the going into the burn book and kind of, like, getting ready to blow everything up. That's what I thought that speech was. I assume that speech happened, like, in front of everybody else in high school at the end. And that's what, like, uh, convinces um, Veronica and J.D., to then go on a killing spree is what I thought, yeah. which it kind of does, but much, much earlier. Um, well, it's what kicks off the killing spree. Yeah. Yeah. 
You were you were nothing before you met me. You were playing Barbies with Betty Finn. You were a bluebird. You were a brownie. You were a Girl Scout cookie. I love it. Like it's it, so good. It's setting up so much context for the rest of the movie, and as opposed to wrapping up the yeah. whole. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. Pacing of this movie is truly wild. Yeah, because it goes from that to the next day, her and JD going over to Heather's house and Veronica thinks she's just going to go make her throw up mm-hmm. because that's what Veronica did. She threw up on her shoes. Right. Um, but JD has other ideas. He is so ready to murder. Like, oh, he doesn't even yeah. know these people. Like, no, he just got there. Uh-huh. Yeah. So instead of drinking the milk and orange juice that Veronica has prepared to make her throw up, she ends up drinking the... Drainer, Drano mm-hmm. substitute, liquid drainer, they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, which then obviously kills her and she dramatically falls into a glass table. It's really good. It's a very little, com- like a prat fall of it. Like It's a legendary death. death scene. It's pretty good. When she yells or squeaks the mm-hmm. words corn nuts. Something else that you... Uh, brought up in relation to yellow, yellow jackets yeah. it is it is an interesting choice that it's cornets are talking about because it's not a like in yellow jackets i mean it's so specific mm-hmm. yeah and it's a reference to the night before when um veronica goes into the it's a quick check in my head mm-hmm. goes into the quick check and uh heather's like don't forget the cornets so yeah, yeah. Even if it's not intentional, it's of the time, certainly. Yeah. Um, Which then sets off this murder spree, basically. Yeah. That they decide, you know, this first one, um, JD has the the bright idea to play it off as a suicide because he sees she's got the bell jar close notes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, but of course what happens is that it, like, they end up lionizing Heather mm-hmm. as this sensitive uh girl that you know couldn't express herself in life so she does it in death Mm -hmm. so funny that he's um his name is jd like the jd salinger of it of it all these kind of like yeah literary Mm -hmm. and i read wait who who's is it her copy of moby dick or is it the next heather who dies i'll wait to bring this up heather duke has the copy of moby dick but she's carrying around somebody else's copy right or no no, I think it's hers. Okay. So, yeah. So Heather McNamara dies first. Then Veronica goes on a double date with Heather Chandler. Right, right, right. Okay. I had my Heathers. I might be mixing the two last names, but um, hold on. I have to yeah, get this part right. we should pull it up. Yeah. Because I know Heather Duke is Shannon Doherty. Heather. Where are we? Lisanne Falk is Heather McNamara. So I am mixing them up. Heather Chandler is the the main first death. Heather Chandler is the queen bee, mm-hmm. so to speak. Heather McNamara is the one who's dating either Kurt or Ram. I can't. I, they're the same person. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, and so Veronica goes on a double date with them. He, one of them, Kurt or Ram, ends up lying about the encounter and then that's when JD sets up the murder suicide between the two of them. Mm-hmm. The as it's referred to in the movie, the repressed homosexual suicide pact. 
I know this yeah. is deeply homophobic. I know that it is. It is the because they set it up and it's unquestioned because they bring this bag of props to label them homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Mineral Wait. water. <laughs> yeah. What else is in? What's the? Oh God. Oh yeah. So here it is. Uh, candy dish. Oh, starts, it starts with an issue of stud puppy. Obviously. Obviously. Candy dish, John Cro- Joan Crawford postcard, mascara, and mineral water. And Veronica says, oh, come on. A lot of people drink mineral water. It's come a long way. And Jason Dean says, or JD says, yes, but this is Ohio. I mean, if you don't have a brewski in your hand, you might as well be wearing a dress. I don't. I'm. It is. I really... This is a good part, a good moment to talk about the, uh, the, the gay politics of this period. Because, and also of this period, but there, but I just remember, um, it is, there are so many layers here because it's fucked up that they know that it will be, that the two of them being gay is a good quote unquote good enough reason to justify them killing themselves oh yeah it's like the worst possible thing if it came out that the two of them were gay right absolutely uh, but the fact that everyone is so ready to accept that based on these very which the movie knows that those choices what's in those bags are deeply stereotypical and stupid and mm-hmm. that the people who fall for it are idiots mm-hmm. for that so it, it is aware of that this is still horribly homophobic but but in a way that is a little more complex and a little more thoughtful than the joke just being because the issue would be self-aware yeah because they're not gay right Mm -hmm. so like that does make it weirdly makes it a little better do you know what i mean you know what it is it's like the because they're so homophobic themselves it's like the whole thing where is it like Mitch McConnell or someone, someone, whatever politician it is, Lindsey Graham, maybe there's somebody who's like a super homophobic politician and everybody's like, oh, he's secretly gay. I think it's Lindsey Graham. And it's like, that's not, that's not the sort of jab you think it is. Yeah. It's like, it is because that's like saying that being gay is like a bad thing that you would want to cover up with homophobia or suicide or whatever. And not to say that there aren't closeted people who are, horrific about gay people for that reason but i sure. always my the the way my hackles go up whenever anybody tries to turn homophobia in on like to blame homophobia on actual queer people yep. like yep you don't get to fucking do that <laughs> like, yeah 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 and that's that's kind of where it, that connection is for me it's mm-hmm. like oh of, of course they're secretly gay because they're always like making jokes about gay people right and it's like no it, they're fucking homophobic jock assholes and and you're all idiots who have no like yeah thoughtful understanding of queer people to be able to recognize these stereotypes as right so stupid i I am also the person that yesterday when i went to a pride event wearing just my normal clothes joked that my pride flag was the the tent and first aid kit (laughs) in my car Um, some stereotypes but we're allowed to say that (laughs) you know what i mean I'm allowed to joke about the fact that my hiking boots are my, uh, my and my flannel are my queer flag. Exactly, it's fine. You, these these people don't, um, right? And, and again, 
it's so funny how many seeds are planted for these later movies. Because a movie we haven't talked about that I am that I love so 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 much. When we talk about high school movies, I can't believe this one hasn't come up. But it's can't hardly wait. Um, mm. A movie I love so much, and one of the big jokes in that movie is setting up um, uh, Mike Dexter and, and another guy in a compromising position mm. and taking photos. Yeah. And that's late '90s. Like the joke. It pers it persists. It gets a little more nuanced, certainly, but like, yeah, you know, yeah. Even when I, mean, I was in high school, we weren't. We've ta we've talked about this. Yeah, like, it. Yeah, so it's not. There was that... nobody openly gay in my yeah. in my class. None. And if you were suspected of it, it was very very bad for right. you. And we had a very small handful of people, and most of them um, identified at least outwardly who were as bisexual, which was, you know seen as a little better at least for the women mm -hmm. anyway um yep we could get into we can and <laughs> have and is. will continue yeah. to get into all of that i'm sure over and over again yeah so yeah so that's sort of the escalation that keeps happening right it's like this is a high school movie oh wait he's got a gun oh wait they killed someone oh now they're planning a double murder like it just keeps escalating mm -hmm. and escalating and escalating and then suddenly it starts happening super fast like yeah. the and sloppily like the heather duke one it's like he just wrote like life sucks mm -hmm. on the note. Yeah. Because again, the whole thing of it is even from the first murder Veronica, at least outwardly, she, I mean, she, it is hard to imagine that she doesn't actually know what's going on, but mm -hmm. they set it up as if she's an sort of like halfway unwitting accomplice. Right. She doesn't mm -hmm. know that, um, that the first Heather is drinking Drano. She mm -hmm. thinks that the bullets are blanks. And even after the one yeah. kid gets shot, um, she... She shoots the second one. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't... But she still apparently thinks that these are blanks. Like, the whole time she's kind of... Be which is... I guess it's a more interesting or complicated view. But it's one that I was a little disappointed by. Like, that she's never a hundred percent in mm. and it's and then wants to back out but he kind of like well he keeps pulling her back in and i think it's like it's unsatisfying because it's like you want her to be better you want her to not be seduced by him this long into doing this many horrible things I either... she does eventually turn against him but it takes longer than we want it to right. i either want her to be all in or a little more um not independent what's the word that i want like resistant to him yeah she's just she's like she's pretty passive through most mm -hmm. i mean really all of this movie because even his we'll get to it but like she really just kind of floats along in this movie being pulled in different directions the whole time. Until she fakes her death. Yeah, but even that, she does fake her death, but then what comes after that? Well, she stops him from blowing up the school. But doesn't he... She shoots his finger off. She shoots his finger off, but isn't it... But doesn't the bomb get defused because of his pocket, like... No, she stops him from blowing up the school. Oh. I mean, like, it may technically be, like... When she shoots him, he like stabs the yeah 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 the the bomb, but no, I think the end is supposed to be her hero turn where she like goes to the school, finds him, yeah, stops just... him from killing everyone. But it just it takes longer than I think we would like it to for her to get mm -hmm. to that point. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that's what is. 
I think this movie is just a little more complicated than I was anticipating. Yeah, it, technically what happens is she shoots him in the boiler room. His switchblade cuts the wires to the detonator. I mean, this is all like a little, a little like, okay. Um, and then she goes outside. He comes out with the bomb strapped to his chest and he kills himself. Mm-hmm. And she lights her cigarette off the uh, That's explosion. Right. That's right. The amount of smoking in this movie. Yeah. It's so, so late 80s, uh-huh. early 90s. Like, I, I started smoking in, I was 15. So whatever year that was. Have we talked about how on this podcast, have we talked about on this podcast how I didn't start smoking until I was 19 years old? I think you've told me this. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. I didn't smoke yeah. for a you very long time. Yeah. I quit um, a few years later, but I was out of yeah. high school. There's no excuse. No excuse <laughs> to start smoking for any reason but peer pressure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was I was 15 and I quit when I was like 21. Um, yeah, that's a, correct. <laughs> it's so funny to to encounter people who still smoke. No offense, listeners, like you're on your journey if you're a smoker. I understand sure. addiction. It's it's very addictive and it's hard. But like I so seldom run into smokers anymore that whenever I do, I'm like, oh yeah, you can still do that. It's really hard though. Yeah, like society has made it very difficult uh-huh. to be a smoker now. Cost wise, and also just like accessibility to places you can smoke. Mm-hmm. Like we we literally smoked in the bathroom in high school. So like that was funny. a thing. That's not a that's not a trope. That's a thing we actually did. Yeah. I wonder if I don't know for sure because I don't. I mean, I do remember why I quit smoking. It's because I started taking Wellbutrin for different reasons, and Wellbutrin is great to help people stop smoking. Mm. Um, and I just suddenly didn't want to be a smoker anymore. It was very easy for me. I'm very lucky. Um, hmm. but it also times pretty well, I think with when you stop being able to smoke in diners. Cause that's when I was, yeah. that's to be perfectly like when I started smoking was when I graduated high school and spent, I spent a ton of time at diners in high school too, but like I spent so much time in the like couple of years post high school, hanging out in diners with my just graduated friends, chain smoking and drinking coffee. Yeah. Yeah. As you do. Exactly. Um, so some other things, I mean, I feel like I feel like we didn't really do a recap of the plot, but I don't know that we actually need to. I yeah. mean, that is the plot. Yeah. Like, there's some things that I, so we talked about the sort of um, culture of, like, sexual assault and harassment of the time. We talked about the homophobia. Um, there's, I have some really dumb notes. <laughs> Please share. Um. One of them was people had real teeth in the 80s. Yeah, I noticed that too. The actors in this movie have normal human mm-hmm. teeth. They haven't had a full set of veneers and like all the like work done that you have to have to be an actor today. I'd forgotten about that. I wonder if that's why, because I started to text you um, a joke about how everybody in this movie is 30. mm mm they also look 30. It's not just the teeth. But they're not. Most of them, I think yeah. the oldest one, I was looking at their ages, is um, Heather Prime. And she's only like 23, which for a high school movie isn't really. Like, yeah. When you look at 90210, how much older are these? But I think um, I didn't realize Winona is just off of Beetlejuice. She was only, what, 16 when this movie? She was like, yeah, 17 maybe. Um when they were shooting this movie. Um, they look a lot older. Yeah. and But I think yeah. part of it is that, like, they just look like what we expect people in real life to look like. 
Yeah. I will say the the high school, supposedly high school aged male characters in this movie and like the college guys at the mm-hmm. party, they look 35. Truly, truly. Like it makes it that much more disgusting that they're like, and also realistic yeah. in some ways that yeah. they're hitting on these high school girls. Yes. Yeah. But even Christian Slater, I think, is only 18. Yeah. Which is yeah. interesting that... Um, again, they all look. I know part of that is they're wearing the the businesswoman special. Um, all of them, and yeah, but yeah, he has yeah. perfect hair in this movie, an insane eyebrows, he, and I know everybody's talked about it and has been talking about it forever. But just the fact that he's doing young Jack Nicholson is so oh, funny. Yeah. It's such a funny choice. He's doing that in this movie and in Pump of the Volume, which is the other Christian Slater movie mm-hmm. at this time that cemented him as the heartthrob for all slightly alternative right girls of the time well and i think i mean it's because it's barely i think he's obviously got some jack Nich- some like natural jack nicholson vibes to begin with and he's just kind of yeah. getting into it another note that i have is uh wow cow tipping had a hold on the culture yeah. Like, did you know people that actually cow tipped? No, the only other thing I know about cow tipping is it's in Tommy Boy. I can't believe you've never it's been cow in, tipping before. It's in a lot of movies from this time period. I guess people did it. I don't know. But I, no, because I don't think cows we actually have cows. sleep standing up. I think that's a myth. Really? Oh, this is our South North Jersey divide. But I am almost positive. We did not have cows in my neighborhood. Um, ca- They can doze off on their feet, but they sleep lying down. Uh, okay as i grew up around a lot of well i spent a few years in parts of new jersey where there were a lot of cows um and they cows sleep lying down it's got to be real it was in like every movie in the 80s and 90s it's not a real thing they don't sleep standing up also do you know hold on i started to look it up do you know how heavy a cow is yeah do you know how many people how strong you would have to be to tip a cow over it seems doable. Hold on. <laughs> no. It seems possible. A group of strangers walking up on them, this farmer says, alive. I don't think that's going to be possible. Uh, he's never heard of cow tipping occurring in his own fields. This is a Smithsonian Magazine article. Um, it would take five people to muster the force required to push a cow over, assuming that the cow was standing completely still, which they would only be doing if they were sleeping, which or, they don't do standing up. Or... Two football players who've had a lot to drink. This is so. This is this is so North Jersey. Never been near a cow of you. This I've been true. near cows, just not a lot. It's just, just not a lot. The cow would just run forward. Like I do. Just when I drive by cows, I always have to say cow. You gotta say cows. Oh, you but, gotta say cows. Yeah, <laughs> you can't not. That's my expertise. Um, okay, debunked. Cow tipping. <laughs> debunked. Yeah. Another fun thing that I noticed is in Heather Chandler's locker after she died, they open it and there's a Barbara Kruger postcard that I shopped there for am, which is like Barbara Kruger is, is not saying that as that's a good thing. That is really um... for those who aren't art nerds, Barbara Kruger, fa- famous feminist uh, text and image artist. I was going to say you would recognize the images if not. Oh yeah, not the, the, name, t- for sure. the style of type and yeah. yeah, yeah. But the I shop there for I am taken very seriously by Heather Chandler as opposed to the uh, initial intention of the piece. 
so funny. Oh, I mean, we have to reference the classic quote from this movie that I repeated for years afterwards. Um, I love my dead gay son. <laughs> that and uh, fuck me gently with a chainsaw became very much part of our our lexicon. Also, um, I, I know Dear Diary, my teen angst bullshit has a body count. Uh-huh. Is, like, it's a good one. Yeah. And there's a... Um, Oh God! From first to last, which was the Sonny who was Skrillex. People might know him better as his band before he was Skrillex. Um, they're one of their first. I actually don't know how many albums they had. Doesn't matter. But they're one of their albums is called um, "Dear Diary." My teenage has a body count. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I knew that from first. So the other thing I think that was very specific in. This movie, but also in a lot of other movies of the time, was we talked a little bit about the cluelessness of the adults, but mm-hmm. specifically the cluelessness of the adults, uh, teachers. Yeah. The hippie school counselor that like puts on the uh, loving. Yeah, for the cameras, essentially. Mm-hmm. The hypocrisy of adults is like very present in this movie, Pump Up the Volume. Um, for some reason, Ferris Bueller's Day Off came to me mm, thinking yeah. about this too. Just yeah. like the adults being clueless and hypocritical and um, slightly evil, but like in a sort of unintentional way. Mm-hmm. Because they're just so un- unaware of like right. the lives of these students. Yeah. And and how quickly they turn this into uh, like positive PR for the high school. Oh, yeah. So gross. The teachers just to keep doing this because I think the lineage is important, especially because for thinking about it in terms of yellow jackets, it's pointing back to all of this Mm -hmm. is the teachers in Clueless are there are only two who we really um, get to know well. And it's Miss Geist and um, hold on. I have IMDb up. Uh, uh, Mr. Hall played Wallace Shawn. I love him so much. who are like really sweet and the kids genuinely like and are kind of like regular actual characters in the movie. But then we get to Mean Girls, every teacher is either a stereotype. Um, like we have the the health teacher who is really inappropriate and un, uninformed about the classes he's teaching and, and all of that. Or our actual characters like Tina Fey, who has like an arc in the, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so they become on the one hand, like even bigger caricatures, but on the other, they kind of allow space for real, real characters to emerge in that role, which is not the case at this point. No. And I mean, later we get things like, um, Dead Poets Society. I don't know what year that came out. Actually, that might have not have been too much later, but, um, where the, Oh, our manic pixie dream professor. Yeah. Where the teacher (laughs) relationship is like romanticized to Uh an insane amount. 89. Oh my god. Next year. Interesting. Oh my god. Um Robert Shad Leonard huh. grew up in the next town over from me. What? Yeah, he grew up in Ridgewood. He's a Jersey guy? He's a Jersey guy. He I'm grew up crying. in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And then house <laughs> is set in Jersey. Yeah. I I literally <laughs> I saw him a couple years ago. He lives in Jersey still or Stop. moved back or whatever. I saw him waiting for a New Jersey transit train oh, in Secaucus. Stars, they're just like us. I know. Uh, yeah, no, it was a big deal that he was from New Jersey because we had a huge crush on him. Yeah, yes, we did collectively. We, yes, <laughs> and like there was like the one time I think I saw him in Ridgewood. Um, like, I don't know. There was something. Was it in Blimpies? 
It was near Blimpies. I don't think he was in Blimpies. But yeah, He's Robert John too- Leonard is a Ridgewood guy. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah. House is yeah. a Jersey show. What if we made our poor, poor listeners watch every season of House? A show 27 that I, seasons of House. <laughs> a show that I love so much. It's a great show. I understand that it's a problem. I understand that we shouldn't again romanticize somebody like dr house who is a bad person yes i I, and he is horrific um to um robert sean leonard in that show and also they are in love and i love them both so much it's a it's a classic oh yeah that would be brutal though to do that every week don't worry listeners we we won't do that to you but boy do i want to now (laughs) i know i've thought about that before actually (laughs) doing a house series podcast Mm -hmm. When we were looking at other Jersey yeah. things to talk about, I like looked up a list of like film and TV set in New Jersey, and House obviously is on that list. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that would be a whole thing. God, every week, just the formula of the show, just making people. <laughs> oh my God. I guess I'm going to um, have to rewatch House again for the millionth time. That's fine. <laughs> Early choices for Veronica that didn't end up being the final choice were Justine Bateman and Jennifer Connolly. Jennifer Connelly, I could see off of like she's too nice though. I mean, maybe it's because, but when it's like a in retrospect, but like, yeah, I Winona Ryder's so good for this. Brad Pitt read for the role of JD. Mm-mm. I know, right? Apparently, Christian Slater reports this is just Wikipedia, but uh-huh. Christian Slater reports throwing a big tantrum and tossing a script in the trash after assuming he'd bombed his audition. It's uh, the um the oral history that I read. He and Shannon Doherty seem like such brats. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like she wouldn't dye her hair for the part. Mm-hmm. She's like, Mm-mm. yeah. Oh yeah, he called her a bit of a handful on the set because she objected to some of the swearing in the script. So funny. That's so funny. Yeah, one of the um, was it the director. One of the people running the film said that he said, I don't think Shannon really got what Heather's was. And that worked for us. <laughs> she made that character real. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I have a question for you. Yes. Just because to kind of like pull this back around, how would this film be different if it took place in New Jersey? Oh, And how would it be the same? Because I think that Ohio and New Jersey are very similar in soul and spirit. Yeah. Do you have an answer? Yeah. Um, Well, I will say the one thing is, do they go to the mall in this movie at all? They do not. That's number one. Yeah. Absolutely. Number one. Absolutely. There would be scenes at the mall. Yes. It's surprising for the 80s that there aren't any. Yeah. I mean, because even in, I mean, Ohio was big mall country, too. Yeah. But I guess it just um, wasn't, again, it may be a little too early for anywhere for the rest of the, for it to have needed to be a touchstone for the rest of the country. Once you get to Clueless, they have to go to the mall. Like, right. Also uh, might have been a production cost thing. This was not a high budget movie. Yeah. Also true. But they go to the mall in Yellow Jackets. <laughs> they go to a very yeah, scary do. mall. Yeah, they uh, do. Yeah, there would have been a social scene of some kind in the mall. Yeah. Two little things that stuck out to me, speaking of malls, not ex- but it's just what I was reminded of. Um, their high school is Westerberg High, mm-hmm. which I don't know if it's a direct replacements reference, but it feels like it must, yeah, it must yeah. be. And then yeah. also, 
it's set in what's the name of this town is it Sherwood it is set in yes Sherwood Ohio um which is is that a real place I don't know but it feels like a a little bit of a wink to Shermer Illinois the fictional town where all of the uh John Hughes movies are set oh totally totally um Sherwood is a village in Defiance County Ohio oh Okay. The population was 802 yeah. people during the 2020 census. Interesting. Yikes. Uh, but it, then at least in name, I feel like it must be. Yeah. Um, I feel like if this took place in New Jersey, I feel like there would be more violence from the from the teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't just be that they were, like, kind of bad people that were, like, you know shaming kids for being you know teenagers Mm -hmm. but there would be like some sort of corporal punishment involved (laughs) yeah that was still definitely still a thing right yeah maybe if it took place at a catholic high school for Mm -hmm. sure the original version in the script before it got to its final cut um jd does blow up oh i read this yeah tell westerberg what yeah so in the original version of the script it had a much darker ending um, JD does blow up Westerberg and the final scene is a sort of heaven prom <laughs> where like they're all up in heaven um, because they all died. I kind of love that. I feel like that is a little more in keeping with the like tone of the overall movie. Well, he does say in the movie, the only place that groups of people like this can get along are in heaven. Uh-huh. So that's funny. That's like a reference that kind of like foreshadowing the ending that doesn't actually come that doesn't happen yeah exactly but i mean unfortunately so much of the school violence thing has become reality and we can't like joke about it like this um yeah in our films today there's just no way there's just no way like no well the trench coat you mentioned right like that became an icon after Columbine, mm-hmm. but like it was before that an icon of a certain type of alternative dude. Yeah. This was like the trench coat for him isn't what signals him being a violent asshole. The no, trench it's the coat. Gun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the trench coat signals him being a like kind of like mis- like dark kind of outsider. Yes. Yes. I had lots of crushes in high school and men wearing <laughs> trench coats. Like it was a thing. And it was not the thing it is now. No. It, I mean, they're fully, I don't know if they still are. I'm sure that they are. But like Columbine happened when I was in middle school and trench coats were fully banned. Like, you, Which is wild to me. Yeah. There's no way you could wear that. Um, like when I was in high school, that's how you knew that a guy was like into reading. <laughs> <laughs> and like maybe had like a sketchbook. That's so funny. Yeah. No. And listen to like The Cure. And now if you see somebody in a trench coat, that is an intentional, a black trench coat, a, especially, yeah. I don't even know if you do anymore, but like outside of school, that was a real signal that that person wanted you, like what was courting that association. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's khaki pants. <laughs> then you know they're a psycho. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, also he calls the bullets Ikluga bullets, which translates to I'm lying in German. Oh boy, is that high school boy thinking he's clever? Yeah. The music in this movie isn't other than the repeat of Kesarasara. Mm-hmm. It's not 
this movie feels to me like it should have a Tim Burton-esque soundtrack. That's what I think is... Well, there is also Teenage Suicide, Don't Do It. Oh, my God. By Big Fun. So funny. Yeah. And the Big Fun t-shirts that Uh look like the Wham t-shirts. Yeah. It's so funny how aware of the genre and the time period this movie is for being in it. Usually you need to be a little more removed. I know I was was talking about this at the beginning, but. Yeah. Maybe we should transfer, transfer, uh, transition. That's the word. Into, um talking about our next movie and how it relates to this. Yeah, hell yeah. Okay. So it's my <laughs> So why turn. don't you take this one cuz it's your turn. Mm-hmm. So for we I think we've explained this but by now, but the way that we're doing this is each of us is picking a movie each week. That the other one and hasn't, going back and forth. Yeah, that the other one hasn't seen and that in some way feels spiritually connected. Connected at least to yeah. to Yellow Jackets and also that we that feels foundational to like what made us into the kind of people who would be obsessed enough with a show like Yellow Jackets yeah. to want to talk yeah. about it every week on a podcast for, yeah. for a couple hours. It's like our pop culture DNA as to like queer women from this time period. Yeah. And so our, I think my hope anyway is that our listeners, these will either be movies, shows, whatever, um, that you also connect with or that you haven't seen. And now this will give you a reason to. Yeah, because that's what it's doing, I think, for us. Like, the the ones that you picked that I haven't seen are definitely big co- pop culture blind spots for me. Things that I'm shocked I haven't seen. Yeah, I'm so glad that I watched Heathers, and I wouldn't have. It's not something we, again, yeah. I don't know why, but for whatever reason that I just didn't seek out. So the movie that I picked for this week coming, what it has in common with Heathers, I'll say, is an awareness of the genre. Um, mm-hmm. It's a movie that is... Uh, deeply invested and aware of the movies that came before it um we'll talk next week in our review or at least i will because i won't be able to help myself about the context of this movie's making and its release and and all of that but i'll wait um to give everybody a chance to watch it um if you feel like everyone has seen this movie but me i was gonna say if you haven't seen this movie i'm so excited for you to fill this in because it's if you haven't seen this movie we should be best friends because (laughs) i think we're the only people it's so wonderful and it's also one that's still in the cultural conversation because um, there have been a million sequels yeah. um up through this year actually but and it's in conversation fully with yellow jackets oh absolutely uh, yeah and including we'll, cast wise yeah yeah for sure um and so we'll we'll talk about all of that um next week after everybody goes off on their own and watches scream 1996's Scream, one of my favorite movies of all time. I st- I've seen none of them. None of them. I mean, we've talked about the fact that I'm not a horror movie person. Mm-hmm. Like, That's- I was a big reader of horror when I was a kid. I read a lot of Stephen King, mm-hmm. like, most of Stephen King up until I, you know, graduated high school, yeah. maybe. Whatever was out. But I never really got into the movies themselves. I don't have a good tolerance for gore. Um... So for you and any other listeners who need this, it's especially now compared to what has come out. This is pre like torture porn mm-hmm. horror. Um, I can't deal with any of that. No, this is a slasher movie. It is a very yeah. fun slasher movie. There's plenty of blood, but it's I, I this isn't a particularly gory movie. Yeah. Um, like if you had asked me to watch Saw, which I, I, would, I would have been like, do. I would have been like, mm, maybe not. I was just going to say there is one particularly gory scene, but it is quick and it's early on and you'll be fine. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I watched Shauna like attack Jeff with knife knife hands. Exactly. Yeah, you'll so. be you'll be fine. Um, I think listeners, you will also be fine. Um, I don't even. There's not a whole lot to set up for this movie, and I do think what's going to end up happening is this isn't one. I think most of our listeners will have seen it. I think what I'm hoping will be interesting is the conversation we have about this movie um, and Yellow Jackets and all the other conversations we've been setting up. Also, just selfishly, I love this movie so, so, so much. And I just am excited to have a reason to talk about it. Yeah, that's how I felt about Heathers. Yeah. So um, I'm excited to get to talk about Scream. It's me too. Such a good movie. I can't wait. I'm excited to kind of like fill that hole in my pop culture knowledge because I feel like so much of the stuff that I love has been influenced by it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's also sort of a a side quest for us here is like for each of us to kind of help each other with those little blind spots and be like, hey, this thing is something that you should know about if you're interested in this kind of television Mm -hmm. or movies. Yeah, totally. Um, Oh, and just uh, for folks, it looks like you can watch it on Paramount+. Plus. Um, for free or the Roku channel and then you can also rent it from Redbox whatever row 8 is uh, and then Prime Video and Vudu you can rent it so it looks like the only place you're going to get it for quote unquote free is if you already have Paramount Plus um, and or the Roku channel. I still have Paramount Plus because I tried to cancel it and they gave it to me for free for two months. Oh there you go that's right Um, oh and our listeners should have Paramount Plus because yes Yellow Jackets. Unless they canceled it after Yellow Jackets. Right. But I will say that when I tried to do that, they offered me two months free, which I took them up on. And then I will cancel it. There you go. Which will be uh, a, l- a little bit of t- enough time to watch Scream anyway, listeners. Exactly. Uh, so that's that's that. Um, since we last talked, we've had a couple of uh, new five-star reviews. Ooh. And so we'll go How out exciting. on those as we've been doing lately. Um, thank you really so, so much, Um listeners for hanging out with us for our first season and and if you're yeah. back now thank you so much for wanting to hang out with us yes. while we're not talking about yellow jackets um feel free to keep leaving reviews especially in the off season if you like this conversation um letting people know that we're still talking about stuff that's fun and hopefully relevant and yeah I'm, yeah, and maybe, you know, we can sneakily get more people into Yellow Jackets by dragging them in with conversations about movies that they're interested in yeah. and then, then sort of evangelizing exactly. about Yellow That's Jackets. really the real plan. If you are somebody who's listening to this because you have, like, an alert on your phone for Heather's podcast, Heather's. <laughs> go back and watch Yellow Jackets. If that's binge... true, we should be best friends yeah. because you are my type of person. <laughs> binge the first two seasons of Yellow Jackets because it's so yeah. good. Um, but yeah, so we have um, a review from Citizen Jess. Amazing. Fantastic. Um, smart and fun. I'm so happy I found this podcast via Reddit. That's all you, Jody. Hell yeah. Um, these two are so easy to listen to while having great insights and fun asides without getting too carried away. Because we edit Ooh. out all of the getting yeah, too carried away. Andrew's a good editor is why that's not the case. Um, I appreciate that they take the time to digest each episode so they can have a thoughtful conversation um, rather than rushing out some quippy hot takes. Yeah. Oh, I that's think, nice. I really love to hear that because I think we do um, publish a little later than a lot of other shows. But we it's, do. it's intentional. Well, it takes me time to write out 15 pages of notes. <laughs> also that. Um, I yeah. look forward to seeing what conversations come out in the off season. So Yay, hopefully Jeff, you're still here. Listening. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so, so much. Hope you um, like others. And then uh, one more. 
Uh, great perspectives. This is from Jay Padding sixty six. I listened to twelve ish with like five question marks. Yellow Jackets podcast, and these gals have one of the best. Great breakdown and fun Aww. theorizing. Thank you so. I hope much. you're okay. Yeah, twelve ish is so many, but as um someone who is never not listening to a podcast, I absolutely oh, yeah. understand. I'm um, all the time. I love that we're in your rotation. Thank you so 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 much. That's nice. Find us at Watchers. Pod NJ on Twitter and Instagram. Jody, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at Jody underscore Mim, J O D I E underscore M I M. Uh, it's just my art account. So if you're not interested in art, then don't bother. But if you are, come see me. You should be interested in Jody's art. Jody's art is fantastic. And if you're interested in um, my dog, Pacey, you can find me at AQ Andrea Q. As you should be, because Pacey is awesome. <laughs> He's pretty much all I talk about other than podcasts. So that's it. Hopefully we will see you next week for Scream. Um, and yeah, each week we will just let you know what the next movie is. And hopefully you can join us for the conversation. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.